Cal Servicing CAODC Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you are all doing well as we move further along into the spring. It's nice to see a relatively normal breakup happening right now, and for those of you out there on the front lines, I hope you are noticing things picking up here and there. Uh, See, we haven't fallen below 50 active rigs so far, so uh, things are steadily picking up on the drilling side and uh, have been fairly stable on the service rig side from what I understand. So good news and hopefully a barometer of things to come as we get through the second quarter and uh, into the second half of the year. Uh, Not so good news, however, if you are a Calgary Flames fan, but uh, if you are an Edmonton Oilers fan, which you should be, uh, or maybe a Jets or a Maple Leaves fan, then you're definitely excited about some playoff hockey. Uh, for us Oilers fans, it's been a while, and I, for one, am certainly looking forward to uh, the first couple of rounds here and then the conference rounds to see how everybody stacks up against teams that uh, we haven't had a chance to play. But there are a lot of hockey podcasts out there, and this is not one of them, so I'll try to stay focused. Uh, Line 5 has been in the news recently, and our guest for this episode actually is Caroline Lethan, Director of Environmental and Regulatory Policy at the Michigan Manufacturers Association. Uh, Ms. Lethan joins us to share how the potential closure of Line 5 will impact her members and their businesses as well as some of the approaches that they've been taking to help people understand the impact of uh, closing a pipeline that transports over 500,000 barrels of oil and equivalent every day. Uh, We know the dramatic impact a shutdown would have on all of Canada, particularly Quebec and Ontario, uh, given that that line supplies 45% of Ontario's energy needs, including 100% of the aviation fuel for Pearson International Airport. Uh, And it also connects with uh, Line 9, which then supplies Quebec with 40 to 50 percent of its energy. So uh, there's a lot that goes through that pipe that's very important for uh, people in eastern Canada. And and it's also very important for Michigan residents as well. It uh, supplies 55 percent of much-needed affordable propane to Michigan and supports thousands of good jobs for people in not only Michigan, but states like Ohio and Louisiana. So we will have uh, Ms. Lethan on to discuss that. Um, And this situation is similar to the one we had about 18 months ago with Premier Horgan in B.C. saying that he didn't want our oil and gas, but at the same time he would sue us if we didn't send him our oil and gas. So confusing messages, uh, the same from Michigan Governor Whitmer saying shut down line five and then don't know if you recall uh, several months ago she declared a state of emergency because they had no propane in Michigan so uh, I guess it could be argued that part of the reason for disconnects like these come from selective interpretation of real data and that leads us into the uh, IEA report released earlier this month called net zero by 2050 Um, That report is an interesting one because it has emboldened many anti-fossil fuel proponents to declare that we're essentially on the verge of shutting off the taps for fossil fuel. In particular, uh, the point that saw a lot of attention was their prediction 
calling for no new investment in fossil fuel projects and uh, no sales of gasoline or diesel passenger vehicles by 2030. So these reports always get a lot of attention when they appear, but it seems like not too many people will follow up down the road uh, a decade or so later on or whatever time period the report is using and, and follow up to see whether these predictions come true. So if you haven't seen Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth, for example, recently, maybe watch it again and, and see how many of his models and predictions were actually correct and how many weren't. So what we do know is true is that we're all working very hard to reduce emissions and we are making some excellent progress, but it's certainly our view here at CAODC that oil and gas will be a major part of the world's fuel supply for decades to come. And because of that, there will definitely be investment in new fossil fuel supply along the way, but it will be cleaner, uh, emissions will be lower, and we will continue to be making the great progress that we have always made as uh, the Canadian energy industry. So I guess we'll wait until 2030 and take a look at where we're at, and, uh, or at least until their next report, which will come out probably next year or in a couple of years, and we'll see what they're saying then. We, what we do know is that the world's energy supply is complex, uh, dynamic, and uh, the world's population is growing, and, and we need that energy. So, Okay, it is now time for the industry update. Our industry update is brought to you by RiggerTalk. RiggerTalk is your global energy services network. Join the growing RiggerTalk community of over 380,000 energy professionals worldwide. Get pinned on the map today at riggertalk.com. On the drilling side, in April we saw 1,617 operating days compared with 766 in April of last year for a 111% increase year over year. Month over month we had 2,830 operating days in March, so we are down 43% compared to last month's numbers. Active rigs for the month averaged 62, up from 30 in April of 2020, for an increase of 106% year-over-year, and an increase of 6,400 jobs, which is fantastic. I think that's the first uh, job increase we've seen since the podcast started back in August of 2019, so great news. Our registered drilling rig fleet is up one from 489 last month to 490 this month, and we are down 21 rigs, or 4% year over year. Provincially, in March, Alberta averaged 73% of active rigs, BC 22%, Saskatchewan 4%, and Ontario 1%. In 2020, Alberta had 65% of active rigs, Saskatchewan 7%, BC 27%, and Manitoba 1%. On average, over the month, 26 rigs were drilling for oil and 33 were drilling for gas, so a fairly even split again. On the service rig side, we have an update to make from last month's numbers as we had a few late entries. We reported March operating hours at 95,327, but they are actually 98,593, so we were up 35% year over year rather than the 31% we reported in the last episode. This happens from time to time, uh, try as we might to get all the data in prior to uh, going to, uh, to record the podcast. Uh, sometimes we don't, so when we do get updates, we will certainly let you know. 
In April, we had a total of 59,517 operating hours versus 15,231 of April of 2020 for an increase of 44,286 or a whopping 290%, which is awesome. Month over month, we had 98,593 op hours in March, so we are down 39,076 hours or 40%, which is typical for breakup. The month over month working service rig count was down 124 from 502 in March to 378 in April. Year over year, we are up from 157 in April of 2020, so 157 working rigs in April of 2020. Uh, or a total increase of 221 working rigs for the year. Hours per working rig average is 102 in April. That is down 46 hours month over month, but up 57 hours year over year. Provincially, this April, Alberta saw 69% of service rig activity, Saskatchewan 24%, BC 3%, Manitoba 2%, and we had a couple of rigs working in the territories. Last year, the provincial breakdown had Alberta at 80%, Saskatchewan at 16%, BC at 3%, and Manitoba at 1%. With a 290% increase in activity, the distribution is much more normal this year, and it is wonderful to see things moving back towards higher activity levels. Now to the Energy Information Administration's May 11 short-term energy outlook. Uh, the EIA is estimating global energy consumption was up 200,000 barrels per day month over month at 96.2 million in April. That's an increase of 15.7 million barrels per day from last year. And their forecasted average global consumption level for 2021 remains flat at 97.7 million barrels per day. Their 2022 forecast for global consumption also remains relatively flat, coming in at 100,000 barrels per day higher than last month at uh, 101.4 million. WTI pricing estimates are flat as well. After three months of gradual increases, uh, their forecasted price is up only two cents to 58.91 US. EIA has increased their U.S. gasoline consumption forecast for the summer months by 100,000 barrels per day to 9 million, which is a conservative estimate based on some of the other predictions we've seen for rising consumption as COVID-related precautions continue to ease. On the natural gas side of the equation, in April, the spot price at Henry Hub averaged 266 per million BTUs, which is slightly higher than the March average of 262. EIA expects Henry Hub spot will average 278 in the second quarter of 2021 and $3.05 for all of 2021, which is up from the 2020 average of $2.03. The rise in gas prices is attributed to two factors, growth in U.S. LNG exports and rising domestic natural gas consumption in the residential, commercial and industrial sectors. Regarding consumption, EIA estimates a 0.7% decrease this year overall due to decreased usage for power generation, even though they do expect uh, residential, commercial, and industrial consumption levels to be up slightly. As of today, May 21, we are at 64 active rigs compared with 26 this time last year and 56 this time last month. Of those 64 active rigs, approximately 52% are drilling for gas, 41% for oil, 
and 7% for other, which includes potash, helium, or hydrogen, or geothermal. So that's it for the industry update. Our industry update is brought to you by RiggerTalk. RiggerTalk is your global energy services network. Join the growing RiggerTalk community of over 380,000 energy professionals worldwide. Get pinned on the map today at RiggerTalk.com. Okay, joining us after the break to discuss Line 5 is Caroline Lethan, Director of Environmental and Regulatory Policy for the Michigan Manufacturers Association. So stick around. General Well Servicing is a premier and proud family-run service rate contractor, serving our customer base in southeast Saskatchewan and southwest Manitoba since 1996. For over 25 years, we have been building one of the most efficient, hardworking, driven, and safest reputations in the area through hiring and training our best asset, our people. To learn more about General Well Servicing, Check us out online at general.fasttruckingservice.com. Welcome back to the General Well Servicing CAODC podcast. And joining us now to talk a little bit about Line 5 is Caroline Leeson, Director of Environmental and Regulatory Policy with the Michigan Manufacturers Association. Caroline, welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Ken, before we get into the conversation about Line 5, can you please tell us just a bit about the Michigan Manufacturers Association and your members? Yeah, uh, MMA represents the interests and needs of 1,700 member companies, ranging from small manufacturers to the world's largest and most well-known corporations. So we're talking small, family-owned businesses, usually 100 members or less, on up to companies that you probably see and use on a daily basis. Sounds a little bit like our membership. Um, We have several larger multinationals, but we go right down to the one and two rig operations, family-owned, rural. Uh, Are are your members all around the state, I, I guess? That's right. Yep, throughout the state. Well, they are involved in, uh, or I guess anxiously waiting the uh, decision here uh, about Line 5, and I know that our members are as well, and, and we have uh, some members in eastern Canada, but uh, we, we do know that um, our sister uh, associations out there with uh, the manufacturing uh, companies as well are, are watching this, um, I guess, moderation or uh, situation very closely, uh, because you know, potential line five closure will have dramatic implications for jobs, energy supply, and energy costs uh, in in our country, but as well as in in the U.S. So, what does it mean for the people in Michigan and specifically MMA members? Yeah, uh, for the people of Michigan, the most direct impact will probably be um, the heating of their homes. Fifty-five uh, percent of Michigan families depend on Line Five to deliver propane at prices they can re- afford at a reliable level, and this number increases to sixty-five percent when we're talking about families that reside in the Upper Peninsula. And then for Michigan manufacturers, Line 5 delivers the fuel that they need and rely on to fuel production lines, build Michigan products, and to make Michigan jobs possible. An increased cost of fuel increases transport costs. So to get raw materials to manufacturing plants and then to move that finished product to market. 
which hurts the Michigan competitiveness on a global scale. And uh, speaking of global, Line 5 supplies more than half of the jet fuel supplies for the Detroit Metro Airport. So it, when you say all of that, it, it seems hard to believe that you can just pull that kind of, of uh, production out of, I guess, out of the uh, situation and, and think that things will remain the same. How did this Line 5 closure become such a big issue in, in Michigan that uh, your governor uh, wanted to shut it down? Yeah, uh, well, Governor Whitmer is uh, new for Michigan, relatively new. She's in her second year with us. And part of uh, her campaign promise was to revoke the easement, which she did. Um, she revoked and terminated the 1953 easement, allowing the dual pipelines to operate in the Straits of Mackinac. And the goal was to require Enbridge to see operations of the dual pipelines by May of 2021, specifically actually last Wednesday. So from what I understand, the safety record of the pipeline itself is quite good, and, and Enbridge was actually wanting to modernize it and, and make it a little better. Um, the news speeds up here tell us that the, you know the water the waterways are a big concern, which is very understandable. Um, but we keep hearing that this pipeline is a ticking time bomb. Um, would you agree, or, or I guess what has caused this to be such a focus, uh, other than the fact that it's a campaign promise from an environmental perspective? Yeah, uh, those are uh, talking points that we hear on a regular basis, but Line 5 has been operating in the Straits of Mackinac for 68 years without a single release. Uh, the piping used is three times thicker than a typical pipeline, and it's coated with enamel to protect against corrosion and potential impact. Uh, and further inspections conducted in 2019 and 2020 confirmed that that coating is working as intended and is effectively protecting the pipelines. And for the company itself, Enbridge has a Straits Maritime Operations Center, which includes communication and monitoring systems that identify approaching shipping vessels and remind them of the no-acre zone to avoid further risk and uh, also have patrol boats that are positioned over line five for additional observation. So all of that to say uh, it is safe. We've never had a release and uh, there are uh, multiple, I guess, safety measures in place in order to ensure that nothing occurs to risk uh, the area. And meanwhile, while that pipeline is in operation, Enbridge has uh, been working on a $500 million project to replace the existing pipelines with a new pipeline encased in a concrete tunnel, which would be approximately 100 feet below the lake bed, which would be far and above uh, even safer than uh, the safety measures we have in place now. Wow. Well, that's very extensive in terms of environmental protections. Do you think the average person in Michigan understands that? Um, and I guess, uh, you know, what are some of the things your association is doing to, to highlight the importance of Line 5 economically, but also the things that you just mentioned, um, you know, educating the public and other stakeholders about the fact that, you know, this is a very, very safe operation has been and, and will will only get safer as, as time goes on. Yeah, I think the understanding of the public really runs the gamut. 
Uh, and so that's something that we've been working very hard on. Uh, our association has been advocating in support of Line 5 and the construction of the Great Lakes Tunnel to the legislature and the public. Um, we've been trying to uh, kind of ensure that they know that, you know, the Line 5 provides us with fuel for our cars and heating for our homes and manufacturers depend on it uh, to operate on a daily basis. So I think our work has facilitated a better understanding of the safety of the pipeline and the planned tunnel as well, uh, and the consequences of a closure. Yeah. So there's, I mean, such a strong push by environmental organizations to prevent this infrastructure development, even though we have these very, very strong safety protocols in place and we see that a lot up up here um can you give our listeners a sense of what some of the other challenges are in in your area or down in the states with respect to uh, infrastructure projects like this and and um you know whether or not you feel it's possible to get these projects built uh, going forward because we've seen a lot of challenges with our trans mountain expansion um, our Enbridge Line 3 is, is another one that's been challenged, um, you know, and it just, and we've got a lot of uh, federal regulations in place that are making things difficult. So I, I guess what I'm looking for is a bit of uh, your thoughts on what's happening down south with that and, and what the future may hold for larger uh, fossil fuel projects in general. Yeah, we're experiencing very similar scenarios. Um, we're currently undergoing a shift in energy policy under the Biden administration. And meanwhile, our energy is, our, we have an energy-based economy and uh, it needs reliable and affordable energy to flow, especially as we are recovering from the COVID recession. Uh, even most recently, uh, construction of the Keystone XL pipeline was halted when President Biden revoked its permit on his first day of office. So as these policies advance, we need to find a way to ensure a healthy business climate and economy um, balanced with uh, the new administration's goals. What does it mean? So if things were to shut down for line five in terms of job losses, do you have any kind of forecast for what that would mean for for, uh, families in, in Michigan? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, we have had uh, unions come out, especially with testimony from the Michigan legislature, um, talking about the um, great jobs that the tunnel itself would create. But away from that, the existing jobs that we have for our manufacturers and every um, part of the economy that is uh, kind of connected to that, um, if they don't have access to reliable energy, they don't have the ability to continue operations. Um, it would mean, you know, possible shutdowns uh, throughout that sector. Yeah, well, it's the same thing for uh, our manufacturers in Ontario. Um, you know, they, they provide a lot of jobs for people in that region and, uh, you know, rely a lot on, on uh, the products that come from that pipeline as well. So I think it's almost a, a mirror image of what's happening down in, in your state. So any strategies or initiatives that you guys have undertaken that uh, you feel have resulted in a better understanding for groups on both sides of the fence on this issue? Yeah, I think so. Um, the Michigan House of Representatives and the Senate have had many uh, public hearings uh, with testimony regarding the importance of Line 5. Um, people that have participated range from um, those 
representing uh, employers throughout the state, the Chambers of Commerce, all down to actually, you know, people that would be working these jobs, representatives from the unions. Uh, so I think that the more that the issue has kind of garnered attention and more information has been flowing on the impacts to these individuals, the better the understanding has been. Yeah. Well, that's great. And, and I'm really hoping for a successful resolution, as I'm sure you are and, and, and many of us are. Um, and I really think that we've got certainly the environmental protections that are in place when are when they are explained to the public. I really feel so we have an advocacy campaign called Oil Respect. We've been doing it for uh, six years now. And uh, in the early days, we were traveling along the Energy East pipeline route. Energy East was a pipeline that was supposed to run uh, from east to west in, in Canada and uh, was shut down uh, a while back. And uh, we were we were hoping that it wouldn't be. And we were traveling the pipeline route trying to garner some support for it. And, and most Canadians that we talked to, of course, were very concerned about the environment. But, um, you know, they, they said, we also need the products that these pipelines provide us. And we feel like pipelines are the safest means of transportation for them and so as long as they're done uh, properly uh, and, and certainly with all the modern technology that we have going into them today um, they are done properly then i think the majority of people are, are okay with them so i really hope that uh that 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 kind of uh reasoning wins the day and, and this thing can uh, continue to uh, to flow and, and of course be the tunnel can be built and and uh um, I guess made even safer than it is. Um, I guess my last question maybe would be just in terms of, of uh, transportation via pipeline. And, and do you think people are aware of, of the environmental impact of actually shutting this project down? Uh, I, I don't think that that was uh, a something that people knew across the state originally. I think that's something that's being built up as, you know, we work and our other stakeholders have worked to really uh, get the word out of the actual impact. Um, one of the things that we've really been talking about, to your point, is that there is no viable alternative should the pipeline shut down. Um, the only alternative really is truck, train, or tanker, which are less safe, they're less less affordable, and they're actually less environmentally uh, protective modes of transportation. Um, they're still at risk. And also, it's even an issue of the availability of them. Should the pipeline shut down, do we even have people to drive those trucks? Do we have access to trains um, to carry the amount of energy that the pipelines currently carry? And really, the answer is no. Um, so should the pipeline shut down, we don't have uh, a backup in place. Yeah. Well, we look forward to, to seeing this issue get resolved, and we really appreciate you joining us on the General Well Servicing CAODC podcast today to give us a bit of a perspective for what's happening down in Michigan with regards to Line 5 and, and your members. Uh, joining us was Caroline Leithen, Director of Environmental and Regulatory Policy for the Michigan Manufacturers Association. Thanks again, Caroline. We appreciate it and have a great day. Thank you. You too. 
All right, that's it for another edition of the General Well Servicing CAODC podcast. We thank you once again for joining us. As always, if you have any feedback or suggestions for guests, please let us know at communications at caodc.ca. If uh, you like our show, please like or subscribe, uh, send and share with your friends. And enjoy uh, spring, enjoy the NHL playoffs if you're a hockey fan. And until next time, keep it turning to the right.